Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, welcome to the Bicycling Australia monthly podcast. This is our second episode after last month's podcast where we spoke with Anthony Tan and former Tour de France rider Pat Yonker. So before we introduce this month's guest, uh, we're just going to cover the highlights from Bicycling Australia over the past few weeks. Well, first of all, the December edition of the magazine has just been released. It's absolutely packed with quality content, including 12 pages on the next 12 months in cycling. Peter Maniati has interviewed Phil Liggett, Matthew Keenan, Tracy Gaudry, Matt White, uh, and many others, uh, and getting their outlook on the next 12 months of the sport. It's actually brilliant reading. I've really enjoyed it. Um, So grab a copy and really help the resurgence of print. Print is coming back. Look out. Got someone smiling in the studio about that. We'll introduce him very shortly. Uh, to our website, and the the uh, top articles this month have been the, the course release of the 2020 Tour de France and the Giro, of course. Some pretty exciting news coming up on um, on both races. Um, a, a new name for the Giro and some new climbs for the Tour, so have a look on our website for that. Um, Grand Fondo events continue to boom in Australia. We've just had the, the Barrel Classic, the fourth Barrel Classic. Uh, we've got a really good article on the site um, by Beardy McBeard, an insider's view. Um, his insight from the back of the moto, the photo moto at last or two weeks ago, the Barrel Classic. Um, talented young rider Sarah Giganti has been awarded the t- 2019 Amy Gillett Foundation Scholarship. There's a lot more on our website about that, including an interview with uh, this young giant of the sport. Um, we've got some news on gravel cycling. Um, and also a $10,500 garage giveaway, so ten and a half grand worth of cycling gear. Um, just have a look at the BA website and you'll see all the details about that. Okay, sitting patiently here in the Forbes Street Studios in Sydney are two well-known legends of the sport, Julianne Hazlitt, we're going to call her JA, and an ultra-endurance specialist who, amongst other things, has ridden the entire Tour de France course, more about that in a minute, and Rupert Guinness, also an ultra-endurance specialist who has reported on uh, more than 30 Tour de France's. Rupert, is it 30? Yeah, 31. 31? Yeah, yeah. Mate, that, that, <laughs> what, is, is there a standout, can you single it down to one or two standout moments over those years? Uh, yeah, obviously the first one in 1987 when Stephen Roach won. You know, everything, first impressions always count and uh, that year's race. Uh, his battle with Delgado was a fabulous race, and um, obviously Cadell Evans's win in two eleven. But I, you know, this year's race was a, was a spectacular event as well. So there's already three. Before I know it, I'll come back to thirty one <laughs> spectacular tours. <laughs> Julianne, uh, so you've ridden the Tour de France course. That is, I'm just mind blowing. Can you tell us about what what that was? Yeah, this year I joined a female team called Internationale, uh, a group of girls from all over the world to ride every tour every 
stage of the Tour de France the day before the men. And it was absolutely epic in, in an incredible journey. And we also got to ride further than the men, which was even more exciting. Just phenomenal. How did you prepare for that? Um, I had no life for a few months. <laughs> I, uh, most weekends, I would ride 200k on a Saturday and 150 or so on a, on a Sunday or the other way around. And then because I have a full-time job during the week, I'd ride early in the morning, get up at five, ride for two, three hours before I went to work and then go to work and maybe do something in the evening if I have time. But mm. other, <laughs> otherwise, um, yeah, really, it was all about the bike. Yeah. Um, uh, not only an um, incredible personal challenge, I think, I guess a lot of us would see this as a major statement to organisers of Tour de France, like, hey, what about us? Like, imagine if Wimbledon didn't have women involved. Imagine if swimming had no women. Yeah, it's an absolute joke uh, in this day and age that there isn't uh, a big stage, a multi, multi-day stage for women. Is disgraceful, really. Um, I can't believe that it still exists. And I think what we find this year in talking to people is that a lot of people don't realise that there isn't a women's race um, because there's a one-day stage and it's only when you actually sit back and have a discussion with people and they go, oh, you're right, I hadn't thought about that. Um, so it was from an educational uh, side, it was uh, really beneficial, I think, this year just to get the word out there as well from an English-speaking team. So there has been a French team that's been writing it for five years, um, but obviously speaking French and with limited English, their voice is only so loud. And I think this year with the amount of media coverage that we got, we really helped spread the news just that little bit further. Mm. How were you received uh, like riding that course ahead of the men each day? We had so many people cheering us on. It was brilliant. It, I felt like a famous cyclist. It was awesome. <laughs> um, we had people come and join us and ride part of the stages with us or the whole stage. Some people joined for a few stages. Um, people cheering us on along the way. People writing our names on the road. It was incredible. It was wow. really a, a mini women's race, even though we weren't actually racing. Mm. Um, it, it felt like that for us. It was brilliant. So Rupert, I guess you were there when there was a, a, a sort of, um, was it Tour La Femme? Uh, there was a, a, a miniature Tour de France for women or a smaller yeah, scale? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of different iterations of, of the event. You know, uh, back 87 or 88, there was a, a, a women's tour uh held at the same time and they the, the race would be uh, run before the caravan of the men's race uh, started um, there were problems with that because of uh, uh, you know the two events sort of started to get caught up with each other you know from a logis- logis- logistical point of view um, and I'd, I'd suggest that now compared to then with all due respect the standard of, of the athletes now is is a lot deeper and stronger than what it may have been. Mm. Uh, I'm not talking about the top end of the field, but the back end of the field. So there was um, a, a disparaging difference of the standard that in the women's peloton at the time. You know, I think now we've seen. You know, it's top to bottom. It's it's just like a men's yeah, standard. Yeah, you know, sure. and to get into these races for the for the women to get contracts on oh, to get onto the teams. It's you know, there's no free tickets. It's mm. it's you got to be a, a a top athlete. So. Um, so there were problems from the logistics, but, you know, logistics are just what you make them really. I mean, there's mm. always a solution to something, well, you exactly. know. There was a time I used to, I used to think that maybe the women's tour wouldn't work logistically, but uh, I think this day and age, one, there's a there's an interest and I yeah. think there's a responsibility to find a solution. May, it may not have to be three weeks straight away. And I'm mm. not saying, I think, you know, they can yeah. race three I, weeks. I, I think I would agree yeah. and I think 
uh, everyone would be happy if it started to increase and if it mm. was at least a multi-stage race, mm. that would be much more significant. Yeah. Um, it, they don't have to start with three weeks. Mm. I think they don't finish with it. Yeah. I think it's really with, disappointing yeah. when ASO, the organisers, you know, they make this pretense that they're, that they're interested and they've got a vested interest in, in developing women's cycling and then they make a, you know, a grand celebration over next year's route, uh, this, the 2020 men's route of, of all, the, which, all the changes and how different and unique that will be compared to past routes and then suddenly the, uh, there's no development in, in or if, I'd even say even interest by the mm-hmm. organisers yep. to actually uh, lord uh, an impending women's race. Yeah. You know, it's just the same uh, one day. Yeah. Yes, it's think, really you know, poor, really poor. I think it's fair to say they could take a, a, a note from the Tour Down Under organisers and even, you know, the yep. Juro organisers. Mm. Um, Rupert, do you think ASO will get the message at some point and, and change? Oh, look, I think... Um, I think like what Jay has been talking about with what they did uh, by writing the route and being able to get that message out beyond the French audience who now is an English-speaking audience you know, mm. with, with the team that wrote it. Uh, I, I think ASO uh, are seriously underestimating uh, not just the strength of the call and the strength for, for uh, demand for races. I think they're underestimating the strength of what the event can be. And um, uh, as much as everyone says ASO is so forward-thinking, they're still so frustratingly French backward thinking. <laughs> I lived in France a number of years and mm. so I do have a certain uh, authority and, you know, the frustrations. Of the fr- I love the French. I love France. I've got family, well, family, uh, adopted family in France. So I'm not being disparaging against the French, but there are elements which frustrate the hell out of you because they just, there's a part of them that are just so locked back in traditional systems and places. Are they lazy or they're just stubborn. Mm. I don't know. But either way, it's not working. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So with our um, classics events here in Australia, we've seen a real increase in women participation in each event. It's increasing. Each time we just said the barrel, which was our seventh event. And over those seven uh, events, continually, we're having a higher percentage of female participation. Um, J.A., is this something you're seeing more, is cycling becoming more of a mainstream sport uh, for the ladies? Absolutely. I think... Uh, it's interesting. I think it absolutely should be, and it has grown significantly over the last 10 years even, especially in Australia. Um, if you think about it, we all kind of grew up riding bikes, and it seems a little bit strange that then it separated and became a male-dominated sport when every kid mm-hmm. wants a bike, and that's what they do. Um, so I think it's brilliant that more and more women are getting into the sport. There's lots of women's rides across Sydney um, over the last few weeks there have been a number of rides specifically for women trying to get people everyone from absolute beginners to experienced riders together to get out and ride together so it's not as daunting mm-hmm. um, and that's brilliant and I think the more people that we get in the sport then the more acceptance of it um, there will be and that includes you know all the things that happen on the roads um, but but everywhere if everyone knows someone that is a cyclist then they learn a little bit from that. Mm. Yeah we've got a, a woman's cycling journalist uh, working on an article for a future edition, for the next edition. Um, she put out the call, she's doing an article on, well, there's three sections of the article. One's on cycling kit for females. Um, she put out the call for feedback or comments or uh, ideas for this article and has had 500 responses so far from female cyclists just in Sydney. So it's pretty impressive that, that yeah. it's, it's obviously, mm-hmm. it's really growing. Uh, definitely, definitely. And I think most of the clubs now have a, a women-specific part of the club, which is great, and trying mm. to get more and more people to join in, which is fantastic. So uh, I guess it's a sort of blokey, traditionally blokey sport. What can we do to try and help 
to uh, break down those barriers and help promote more f- females in- included in the sport? I think uh, leave your egos at home sometimes. Um, uh, uh, not all the time. Everybody wants to race from time to time and, you know, give it everything. But maybe once a week with the club, join in the slower rides and encourage people to get involved um, and, and just make people feel welcome. If somebody's new, have a chat with them. Say, mm. hey, how are you doing? you know, why have you started cycling? Make them feel like it's a sport that is inclusive because yeah. everybody was new at some stage. Um, and although we might all want to race and, and get out there and do our best, there we have to remember that where we came from as well and, and go back to our roots from yeah. time to time. So, Rupert, you've been like reporting on and very closely uh, involved in the sport for a few decades now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. dare I say. Exactly, yep, yep. Are you, are you seeing this rise and rise, this increase in female participation? Oh, for sure, for sure. And you know, and um, not just in numbers, but in the standard as well. Um, mm. and, and I think as, as time goes on, gradually uh, the male uh, sort of uh, – uh, say in the past, lack of, of you said the, the blokey uh, sort of uh, element to it all. I think now more and more you're you're finding in pelotons people are less and less thinking, uh, oh, I got beaten by a woman or something like that. That's way you know. I just see another rider. Mm. You know, gee, that rider's going. They're strong today. Yeah, nice. He or she is strong today. That's great. You go, wow, you're going great today. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a lot of um, uh, there's more mutual respect developing or more respect developing from men about women cyclists, you know, mm. and, just, uh, and, I, and I got a lot of out of that, which, you know, out of uh, a lot of the ultra endurance stuff as well, particularly because I find that genre of, of cycling is a, is a, is, it's an area where it's not just the guys will win. We've seen that, you know, in the transcontinental race this mm. year, you know, the, the, the winner was a female cyclist, yeah. you know, so I'd love to see the day where sport just generally doesn't just get classified as men's sport and women's sport. I just think sport's sport. Mm. Yeah. So you've literally written a book on ultra endurance cycling in Australia, Rupert. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And you're currently preparing for another uh, another big challenge. Can you tell us about, about that? Yeah, well, the uh, the book I wrote, Overlander, was, was on my experiences in the in the two Indian Pacific wheel races that I did. In 17 and 18, and uh, first one I, I didn't finish. I stopped in Adelaide. It was the morning when Mike Hall uh, was killed, and, and uh, so I came back for that. Um, and uh, then I finished it in 218, and, uh, and then obviously, I guess, like these sort of things, they there's uh, a bit of a, a hook in there, and then you start thinking, what's next and what can I do? So what I want to do, what I am going to do, not what I want to do, uh, I'm doing ne- next year's Race Across America. Um, 5,000 kilometres from the uh, west to east coast of the states. And it's uh, different than, than the uh, Indy Pack and the uh, uh, other bike packing tours because it's they're solo and unsupported. And uh, as J.A. knows, uh, Race Across America or RAM is, uh, is a supported event, but you've got different pressures than you do have in uh, the solo unsupported events mm. where there is no timeline to finish for example this one you have to finish uh, in 12 days so mm. I, I can't have, have the time to stop into pubs along the way and embrace the culture of a local town and the good brew that the publican will serve me <laughs> in fact it'll be the driest probably the driest uh, 12 days I've had for quite a while actually because there's no yeah, alcohol no alcohol allowed. I saw that in the yeah. fine print the other day so <laughs> Uh, that'll be a first. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so that's yeah, so that's what I'm doing next year. And uh, in June 16 is the start. J.A., you've ridden the Tour de France. You've raced around Ireland. 
And ridden the race across America. I have. Uh, I did race across America in 2015. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. In a team of four girls called the Velaroos. Um, and we won and broke the female record at that time. What was that time? Uh, six days, 13 hours, 27 minutes. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I've, my, my crew chief is, uh, was your crew chief, yeah. Troy Grice. Just phenomenal achievement. Yeah, yeah. Um, Julianne, what did you ride? What was your setup for that, that uh, race? I had a Cervelo S5, which I still have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that bike has travelled more than most. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's been around the world with me many, many times. Um, and Profile Design Wheels, we had uh, Profile Design sponsored us and gave us a number of different wheels, which were brilliant. Um, so we had every size and shape, mm. um, which worked brilliantly for the team. Um, and I've used the same setup in Race Around Ireland and to ride the tour, wow. um, although I only had one set of wheels for the tour. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what, what tyres, out of interest, what tyres did you use for that ultra-endurance race? County 4000s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There, we, and we had one puncture in Race Across America, or two. One exploded in the desert mm-hmm. um, oh, because of the heat, um, and on, on the back of a car, actually, not actually while riding. Mm. And we maybe had one other puncture. Race Around Ireland... I don't think we had any punctures, which is phenomenal Mm because the roads aren't quite as good. Uh, And in the tour, I think we had two. Wow. All Condi 4000s Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Be interesting over time to see if the 5000 actually uh, lives up to that standard, won't it? Um, incredible. So, so how many hours a day were you riding for in Ram? Um, so we rode uh, in the team of four. We had two teams of two, and each pair would ride roughly six hours, but time trialing as fast as we could. So we oh. would be doing about thirty minutes, stint, twenty to thirty minutes stints as fast as we could, and then swapping over. So we had crew that would take one rider approximately 10k up the road mm. and then we would go as hard and fast as we could to meet that rider tag team and then go again and so we did mm-hmm. that roughly six hours sometimes things go wrong um and it doesn't quite work to the six hours so you may end up on the road for eight uh you just have to be totally flexible flexibility mm. is key for something like race across america because you can plan and plan and plan but many things change and go wrong mm-hmm. the weather changes the cars break down anything can happen so <laughs> Um, yeah, flexibility is mm. really paramount to the race. <laughs> uh, of course, we shouldn't talk too much about it. There are real dangers with these uh, ultra-endurance events. How do you sort of get your, yourself mentally prepared for for uh, the event, and all, considering all aspects of yeah, it? Yeah, I don't think too much about that. I like to focus on the positives and on what I'm going to get out of it in yeah. terms of 
the scenery, uh, the camaraderie amongst the team. Yeah. It's a huge psychological experiment. Mm. You've got all these people who don't know each other traveling across mm. America in an RV and in cars. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the most amazing experience. Mm. Um, so... Safety is, of course, one of the key things. There's a lot of rules in all of the ultra-endurance cycling. The support cars have to be a certain distance off the road. Um, when you're swapping over, uh, you have to be a certain distance off the road as well. Um, at night time, you must have lights. Must uh, You'll get penalties if you don't have the lights um, from certain times in the evening until mm. early morning. Um, and you, you adhere to all of that, but then you've also got the crew to make sure that all of that's happening as well. Um, and, and amongst everybody, then those are the things. As long as you focus on all the rules, the, the organisers have pretty much sorted all of that out. Mm, yeah, good. Rupert, I guess we've seen this in Australia. Uh, IndyPak's just, it's an underground sort of uh, event. Mm-hmm. Uh, not real mainstream, obviously, but gets so much uh, interest. When you put a post up, for example, I know if I put something on the Tour de France or Juro, I might get 30 or 40 clicks. If you put IndyPak, two or 300. Yeah, I know. So, so why is there such a huge following for this? I know. It's like uh, I've, I've noticed the same thing. You know, I've, I may post a Tour de France story, even a stage win story of from an Australian, and yeah. then suddenly uh, an IndyPak story. I, I think it's because of the, the the sense of adventure. And, and I think like a lot of these events, um, you know, you've got your, your the, the, the lead, the elite of, of, the, of, the, of the field, such as Joe and the Velo Roos, you know, but then you do have uh, normal – you know, punters like myself just sort of entering it. And I think that helps the uh, the people who, who read that. And I'm not saying it's just me. It's like other people, they, they can attach themselves. They can identify with like saying, hey, that's me. I could possibly be doing that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I saw that guy in the pub last night. How come he's doing this now? And how does he fit? They, they, they sense a, a sort of a sense of adventure that they have an attachment to. And because they can – follow it through the social media outlets that come out. Like when I did IndyPack, I did a, you know, I used to do like a lot of vlogs and video blogs and uh, and that gave a sense of uh, the journey that people could go along with. And so I think that's really what, what it's about. And there's a really good exchange of, uh, of anecdotes and experiences, which I found even between whether the person who wins the event and the person who... I shouldn't say come the person who's the last finisher. I was about to say last, but mm. the thing of finishing these events is is a massive achievement. And even when you say like with IndyPak, you may have the, the person who wins it may win it in two weeks, but the person who's the last finisher may be six weeks. And you say, well, what's hard? Someone's had six weeks on the road doing something. So yeah, the people who sure. win it go, my gosh, how can you spend spending six weeks on the road? You know putting your bike back together again, all the things that can happen in six weeks. Yeah. Um, that's a, a massive achievement. So I think there's a real natural exchange of of respect and in, uh, amongst the different athletes. And I think also, obviously, with, with the dot tracking systems, you know, where people can follow these mm. people and follow the characters and personalities and go out and see them and ride with them a little bit, you know. And so there's a, there's a real good sharing of, of, of all that. And again, at the end of the day, a good old sense of adventure. And yeah, I think sure. in this day and age, in a lot of years, we've lost that, you know, and I think now we're rediscovering it, you know. And normal, simple people can go out and do these things. Yeah. So what uh, what items might be um, what people not expect to see on your, in, on your RAM setup for next year? Oh, <laughs> like obviously there's um, spare tubes and water, but what are some of the things we wouldn't actually typically imagine you'd have to take with you? Well, I haven't actually got all my setup organised yet. You mean from my bike and yeah, everything? Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't actually got that yet. Uh, I've got to, uh, hopefully I'll have news on that soon. Okay. Um, 
Um, so Rupert will need, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. hasn't already got sorted. <laughs> this is where you come in, J.A. Yeah. Nice. yeah, you need a time trial bike and yes. you need a road bike. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two key things. Yep. Um, and you definitely need a lot of saddle cream, uh, saddle sword cream. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is uh, something, especially going solo, that you need to prepare for. Yeah. yeah. J.A. and Rupert, we see a cup attached to most ultra-endurance bikes on the outside of the back bag. Why is, this, why is the cup always so prominent, J.A.? Um, in, <laughs> in, in our – for the saddle sores, you mean? Or the, no, just the cup, like a teacup or – Always, all the bikes seem to have a cup attached to the outside of the, the rear saddlebag. Probably not so much in the type of stuff that I do because we've got crew. And okay. we, in a team, when we're on and off, then we, we don't have that so much because okay. uh, we can stop and, and get something, mm. but more in the races that more, you're doing. Yeah, I think that's more um, – uh, I never had a cup. Oh. But you could, you, you'd end up attaching all sorts of things to all sorts of places on your setup, Yeah, ranging from uh, – you know, packets of biscuits to bread rolls to yeah. sandwiches and pizzas that you just yeah. sort of, you, you know, you don't think about how you, how neatly you can pack these things and, and then what's the base, best uh, sort of uh, container to put them in. You just, you just shove them up and like with sandwiches and stuff, I used to just crunch them all up into one ball and just shove whatever I could anywhere mm. and they'd be strapped on like the tri bars for example you know they weren't necessarily for aerodynamic <laughs> purpose I mean they, they do offer that but um and it, they do offer an, an alternative position over time but also they make a great appendage in which to hook anything up mm. from food to a spare pair of nicks that you still want to have dry you know just strap them up tie them up and it's not the best look but when you're out in the middle of the desert you know Who's going to see you there? You know, it's not a fashion parade out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, JA, what's your big challenge for twenty twenty? What what cycling wise? That's a great question. Um, the Valaroos are heading over to do Tour of Northland in New Zealand um, in March. Okay. So that's something that we've definitely planned. Uh, we're going to do a lot more local racing, and we have the opportunity as well to do Tour de France again. Really, not one hundred percent sure. I don't think we have committed to that just yet. Uh, Tour of Northland, definitely. After that, not sure. We are going to follow you on Bicycling Australia and keep up to date with all <laughs> the latest. Mudgy. And Mudgy. And the Mudgy Classic. We've got to see the Valerie's there. Um, that would be awesome. Rupert, uh, so I guess RAM is a big focus for 2020. What else is on the agenda? Yeah, RAM, uh, obviously, 2020. Uh, Revolve 24, we're doing March. Have another crack at that. I've uh, done the first two events, first two editions of that. It's a great event, and uh, I think it's, you know, the uh, people are getting their heads around how to do these 24. There's obviously, in mountain biking, there's a lot of 24-hour events, but it's great to see it uh, out there in that uh, superb, superb facilities at Tail and Bend. And, um, uh yeah, RAM, really everything revolves around RAM and uh, I've got some adventure rides planned, you know, just as J.A. was saying, just long distance stuff. I'm getting my long rides up to 220 k's now and wow. probably dungeoned out for 230 on on Saturday. Uh, so getting used to time in the saddle and doing extras before and after squad, yeah. you know, and uh, so Rupert, I have to get everything organised and sponsorship. I've got to find the sponsorship, otherwise I won't get there. Yeah. I need the cold hard money to get there because it's about, uh, you know, your budget, you're looking about 60 grand. Um, and I want to do it properly. I don't want to do, do it half baked and, and on, on, and scrimp and something like that, because I've experienced enough of how 
when things go wrong, um, and it can go wrong simply, and if you think, oh, we, did, we should have had this, if you, if you cut corners with equipment and preparation and your support crew need to be, they, you know, they have to be rotated. They've got to be fresh and, and awake and alert because um, things do go wrong in the support crews, as JA knows, and anecdotally, you know, things can go horribly wrong. So uh, I want to do it properly and, and uh, I'm going to be racing also for uh, mental health and for Crossing the Line, um, which is athlete uh, wellbeing charity that I do some work for and uh, and I want to try and help uh, athletes deal with their transitions. That are, that's what Crossing the Line is about and a lot of that's based on the mental wellbeing of these athletes mm. and uh, we see time and time again um, athletes having a lot of difficulty with that. I've learned a lot, a lot of my career has been based off uh, analyzing reporting on elite performances of athletes or elite athletes and their performances. And I just would like to put a bit back into helping yeah, them wonderful. Uh, at this point in my career to say thank you to them and uh, work with them and try and do my bit. So hopefully others can help me help them. Wonderful stuff, Rupert. Um, so we're just wrapping up. J.A., first of all to you, um, do you have a short message or some advice uh, for those that want to get more from their cycling and maybe even consider riding ultra endurance, obviously from a woman's perspective? I think it's a fantastic experience with a bit of adventure, but anyone can do it. I mean, when I did my first race, which was Race Across America, uh, a friend said to me, hey, do you fancy doing this race? And I said, sure, why not? Um, I had no experience in ultra endurance at that stage, Mm. and I just gave it a go, and we had the race of our lives, which was fantastic. Um, I don't think there are any limitations. I think if you want to do it, if you want to try something new, just give it a go, and I, I bet you'll have the time of your life. Yeah, no. Rupert, your uh, advice for newbies considering something like this? Listen to JA. <laughs> she, she hit the nail on the head. You know, like as soon as you make a, a just a decision to have a try, have a to try something, you've already uh, succeeded. You've committed to an experience, and you know uh, there's no word, no no term as failure really, because you know you've you've got off, you've got up on your feet and signed up and tried something that otherwise you thought you may not have tried and that's a big step it's not just that simple it's a huge step and Mm. it's an achievement and you always learn from these experiences and they'll help you later so don't be afraid just get out there and have some fun and don't put too much pressure on yourself just remember to have fun wonderful julianne rupert thank you so much for coming to the bicycling australia podcast and we hope to talk to you again in the future thank you thanks that's been great Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.